1: A word of warning, this podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. We are recording this on January 6th, 2020. 21. Oh my god, we made it over the threshold. I am your host Anna Garcia. Also for anyone who's celebrating today the Feast of the Three Kings or as we also say in Spain and in the Spanish community, El Día de los Reyes, I wish you all a blessed holiday today and also for our friends in the Orthodox community. Okay, joining me today after we've gotten our blessings out is Dr. Judy Ho, who is a neuropsychologist and a friend of the program. I'm so glad you're here for the first podcast of 2021 because you are a ray of sunshine and we need that.
2: happy new year, Anna, and... Happy, happy, happy day. I am so honored and excited to join you guys for the very first podcast recording of the new year. This is so much fun and I always enjoy my time with you guys, even though we talk about such difficult and serious,
1: heavy things. We do. And we have some very heavy cases today that really are going to need your expertise. And at the end of the program, I'd really like to go over with you, you know, some of your tips for getting through everything. Because those of you who follow Dr. Ho know that not only are you dancing on Instagram, but you've always got, you know, all sorts of charts and tips on how to get through everything and... You know, recipes as well.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we, we have to eat well and feel good. And so that's a huge part of starting the new year fresh and just establishing some
1: of those healthy habits. So I would love to talk about that later. Okay. So, first, let's do a preview of the cases we have today. A Seattle man was arrested for allegedly driving to Arizona with five medical cadavers in his car. And then he hid these dismembered remains in the woods. Now, however, the remains, where they potentially came from, is something that you would ordinarily not expect, okay? And also, for a while there, police in the area thought they were dealing with a serial killer because of all the body parts, and it did not turn out to be that. We will explain that one in a bit. But first, the parents of a four-year-old Missouri girl who was believed to be tortured and killed by her neighbors as part of some religious torture to get the devil out of her. No child has the devil in her. Um, Her parents have now been charged for their role in allegedly allowing this abuse and allegedly participating in abuse that apparently went on for weeks. It is almost an unbelievable case because of the horrendous things that were done to her in the name of saving her. (sighs) Oh my gosh. All right, so what we're going to do is, Judy, we're going to get into the details of the case, and then we're going to bring on a child advocate who's on the ground in Missouri. She has been in the courtroom during all of the preliminary proceedings, and she is fighting for justice in this case. Now, she is a friend of this program, and some of you may already be familiar with her because of a huge case that we profiled out of Missouri where a 12-year-old Amish girl had been raped by her brothers, became pregnant, had a baby, and the prosecutors were just slapping them on the wrist. And she and the other advocates in the area, moms, neighbors, just took to the streets and protested. And because of them, there was a lot of change. So joining us in a little bit is going to be Tiffany Hill, who is the president of CAP, C-A-A-P. That's the Child Advocacy Against Pedophilia. So she is going to have some insight into what's going on in that courtroom and what happened. Okay, now let's get back to this case. We're going to do a lot of the details, and then we're going to get to Tiffany. So this case is out of Cole Camp, Missouri, And it's really confusing, Judy, because a lot of the people in this case have the same last name, but not everyone Mm. is related. So I'm going to ask you all to bear with me as I try to to give you markers to help you delineate who is who. So basically, look at it this way. We have two families with the last name of MAST, M-A-S-T, and they live next door to each other in this remote area in one house we have a mother, a father, and three children. And that is where the little girl, the four-year-old Jessica, where she is from that family and she's the one who has been killed, okay? Then in the other house, we have a young couple or a young enough couple. And police say that the couple thought that the family across the street was possessed by the devil and Satan or that the parents weren't doing a good enough job of disciplining the children So this couple somehow gets involved, takes over, and starts torturing the kids and the parents and forces the parents to engage in violent and sexual acts against the four-year-old. Does this make any sense to you, Judy? Absolutely not. But at the same
2: time, as you're talking about the beginning roots of this case, I'm thinking about this concept we have in psychiatry called Folly et du, I, I do not speak French, but it's <laughs> basically translated to madness for two. It's a type of shared psychosis or shared delusional disorder that two, three, four people, even a group of people might actually partake in and they might have these beliefs and then they kind of amplify each other's beliefs by talking about it and getting deeper and deeper into these delusions. Really? And that is a condition? Yes, it's called, again, I'm so bad at French, somebody's going to have to come and correct my French, but it's folly and. Du. so it's Mm. f-o-l-i-e uh and then the word for two in french so it really talks about the fact that there's two minds and yet they're interlocked in this shared delusion so in this case the younger couple the other mass family seem like they're having some kind of a delusional idea that the family across from them is possessed and that they have to step in and basically be the vigilante heroes here
1: does that ever hold up in court I don't know if that actually
2: holds up in court. (laughs) I think that is something that you'd have to prove with lots of evaluations by providers. And, you know, people probably all the time, Anna, as you know, abuse that system of saying, oh, I went mad and so I should be able to escape all my consequences. I don't think
1: that's going to happen here. No, absolutely not. But that is very interesting. I've never heard of that condition. All right. Well, it, it, I guess and to some degree, what you have described mirrors what was experiencing here in this little community. Now, obviously, You know, I've given you the setup here and the whole, the whole relationship between the two families, if you will, is far more complicated than the headline that I've just given you. But, but I think it will help us with this framework. So all of this happened literally before Christmas, of course, because if you're going to do this, let's just like really wreck everything during the holidays. Mm -hmm. So on Sunday, December 20th, 2020, at 1 a.m., a call is made to 911. James Mast who is 28 years old, tells the dispatcher that his four-year-old daughter, Jessica, is dead. The father says the child has been beaten, submerged in a pond, and then left to freeze on the bank of the pond before she was finally taken back into the house. Mm. Jessica apparently was naked. Mm. Uh, I don't know who carried her cold body, but this is a child. She was forced under the freezing water held under there then her body just like left like trash right there Mm -hmm. in the freezing cold temperatures and then finally she's brought back in the house what we do not know is what exactly killed jessica it could be anything it could be drowning it could be suffocation it could be hypothermia we don't have the autopsy results yet but no matter what no child should be treated like this this is this is unbelievable what happened to her and apparently, according to the police who responded, she looked like she had been beaten from head mm. to toe. She was mm. all bruised. Apparently, she had been beaten mercilessly for the few weeks prior by the crazy neighbors across the street who thought that she was possessed. Ah, <sighs> so investigators arrive on the scene. So it's one o'clock in the morning and they find Jessica in her bedroom. And she is dead. So they also find Jessica's mother, Jessica's mother, Mary Mast, who is 29, and Jessica's two year old brother. They too, the mother and the brother, have also been severely beaten, okay? severely beaten they are transported to the hospital there's also an infant in the house apparently she was not injured in all of this okay so you can imagine i I always like to tell these cases from the perspective of what it is like when you arrive because sometimes it looks like one thing and then it develops into something else the clues are always there following with you okay Mm -hmm. so this is the scene mother two-year-old taken to the hospital obviously poor jessica she is dead now, the father does not appear to be hurt, at least not obviously. I want you to file that in a little folder in your brain, everyone, because this is going to come back in this case. Investigators from the Benton County Sheriff's Department ask the father, what the hell happened here? He says it was the neighbors across the street. Okay, so what happened? He tells them that the couple across the street, 21-year-old Courtney Ballman and 35-year-old Ethan Mast, same last name. We do not believe that there is a relation, that they are the ones who did all of this. According to KOLR-TV, they report that sheriff's investigators at the scene said, again, that the bruising was unbelievable. It was undeniable that this child had been beaten to a pulp. The victim's father, James Mast, told investigators the beating the beatings had been ongoing for two weeks and he said that he too had been beaten with a wooden spoon a few days earlier and that he was beaten into submission into to the point where he was afraid and he let the neighbors, this is what he's telling cops, he let the neighbors beat his wife and children. Okay, naturally the first question that the deputy asked James Mass, the father is, how could you stand by and watch your wife and your children be beaten like this and abused so violently? And he responded by saying that he was told that his wife had a demon inside her and that his children would end up the same way if this situation was not taken care of. What idiot in their right mind would believe such bunk? Well, Anna, you
2: hit the nail on the head. Obviously, he's not in his right mind. And I don't know if he was brainwashed or he was going through something really stressful and he wasn't thinking clearly. But then again, you would think as a parent, maybe you have a tough couple of days. Maybe something sounds plausible to you because you're going through something. But maybe after a couple days of torture and watching the torture be happening to your family members that you'd wise up wake up and say no something's wrong here but it seems like he was completely under the control of this other couple and I just wonder what they said that was so convincing that could allow him to stand by and see all of these horrible things happening to his family.
1: Because if he's capable of calling 911 when little Jessica is dead... My guess is he's capable of calling 911 and saying, my neighbors have gone berserk, they're in my house, they're beating my wife, my children, and then threatening me. Hello, over, done, all demons, gone. Right. <sighs> okay, so the father tells the deputy that if he told anyone or did not comply with the beatings that he would get the same or worse or maybe even be shot. Okay, now I know this, this comes up a lot about When, when a perpetrator, right, of a crime is also a victim.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And what we don't know is for how long, maybe this was going on for two weeks. Maybe this was going on for much longer. For how long was this couple victimizing this other family? But I, again, to what end? Unless they're standing there with a gun to your head, I really don't understand how they're getting away with this. And then once they stop, you've got to call the cops. You know, the only other thing I was
2: considering is that sometimes victims of assault and various forms of abuse, the reason why they don't report it right away is obviously because they believe their perpetrator's threats. Now, in this case, the perpetrator's threats sound so out of norm with reality that you would think, well, anybody in their right mind, why would they even believe this, that Satan would come, that all of these things. But there were also some other Threats that are much more based in reality. For example, this other couple who was torturing this masked family was saying that something worse might happen to you. Perhaps we might shoot you. So that perhaps was what this father was thinking. Oh, I don't want to be shot. I don't want to be killed. And I don't know if that was what stuck in his head, but I think when people are victims of trauma, sometimes they are essentially manipulated into saying nothing until things get really dire because they're so afraid of the
1: perpetrator's threats. And maybe that's a small piece of what was going on here. Well, the father said that he complied with these beatings and that they had been going on for two weeks. The abuse was just so horrendous that the father apparently told the investigators that he and his wife, Jessica's mother, that the two of them performed sex acts on their four year old daughter, that they were coerced into doing that again, mm. parents are supposed to protect their children to protect them at all cost. So I'm having a problem here giving this guy any benefit of the doubt, him and his wife. ok, So back into real time. It's December twentieth. This is the story that the cops are being told. One thing is for sure. They're like, okay, this couple, we're arresting them because they're implicated here in in, in the murder of a child. So Ethan Mast and Courtney Alman are both charged with second-degree murder, three counts of first-degree assault, and first-degree sexual abuse with physical harm held without bond, okay? Now, of course, the investigation is not over. Fast forward to Christmas Eve the 24th, so four days later after Jessica's been found dead. And now... Jessica's parents are arrested okay they are that's Mary and the dad right they are arrested on numerous charges related to the death of the four-year-old they are not charged with murder but they are charged with endangering the welfare of a child in the first degree resulting in death Mary Mast faces an additional, that's the mother, an additional charge of domestic assault in first degree. James Mast, the father, also faces a charge of endangering the welfare of a child in the first degree, resulting in serious physical injury, and they have, they were in court yesterday, and then Tiffany was also in court with them, who's going to join us in a little bit. They were in court yesterday, um, three of the four, and they have so far pleaded not guilty. Okay. So, James and Mary are being held without bond. And now, don't forget, there are two other children in this household. There's the two-year-old boy who was assaulted. And then the infant. So, they have been placed in protective custody. This is going to be interesting because in this case, the children are taken away. And in the other case from Missouri, in which Tiffany, who will be on in a minute, um, was working with us. The child... The 12-year-old who got pregnant because her brothers raped her and then had a baby, she was not taken away from the family. So it really makes you wonder about justice in Missouri, okay? Justice not even, not doled out in an even way. Okay, So it is time to get some more answers about what the hell is going on in Missouri. We're going to bring Tiffany on now. So joining us now from Missouri is Tiffany Hill, who advocates for children's rights in cases like this. Tiffany is the president of CAPCAAP, which stands for Child Advocacy Against Pedophilia. Tiffany, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for helping us out to figure out what the hell is going on in Missouri. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) So you were in the courtroom yesterday and we saw some of the videos that came out of this hearing. And I have to tell you, it's shocking to have seen the mother, Jessica's mother, laughing and smiling in her orange jumper.
3: Yep. And I'm pretty sure Amin had a smile on her face under her mask as well. (laughs) The cheekbones were risen, so I'm assuming she had a smile
1: too this is crazy. This is, you know, your child is dead. You are accused of, of somehow permitting or participating in this. There is absolutely no reason why anyone should have a smile on their face. It's, it is actually demonic. What was your sense of, of what was going on and how they were acting? And were they all acting in the same, like, carefree, ha ha ha, you know, who cares?
3: No, so Courtney, uh, while she was at stand, she she didn't so much seem remorseful, but she seemed as if emotionless. Um, she didn't. She didn't really say much. She didn't. Her facial features never changed. Um, James, the father, whenever he took stand, he had a remorseful look. But I'm going to assume it's probably a ploy of remorse. Um, my daughter's dead, so please have some leniency on me. Um, And as for the mother, Mary, she just, she walked out of the courtroom laughing. I mean, like, how how do you do that? Whenever your four-year-old daughter was just taken from this earth.
1: I'm stunned. And the thing is, I got to tell you, Tiffany, if we didn't have the videos and we didn't have the photos, everyone would be like, no, she couldn't have been. But the proof is there. And you, as the viewers, can decide this for yourself. So I'm going to bring in Dr. Judy Ho at this point. Who acts like that when their child is dead and they are in a courtroom accused of being part of this? And the fact that their emotional expression is so
2: odd and beyond belief makes me want to ask Tiffany if there's been any discussion at all for any of the involved parties, Courtney, Ethan, James, or Mary, that they've had, for example, a past history or even a current history of substance abuse issues. Mental health issues, particularly psychosis and things that are more along the schizophrenia spectrum. Has that been revealed at all? Has anybody been talking about that? Will we get more information along those lines?
3: Um, actually, yes. Courtney herself was um, in a mental institution for around, I believe, three years um, in Pennsylvania.
1: Where does that information come from, Tiffany? Did, was that revealed in court yesterday?
3: Uh, it's been on court documents, yes.
1: Wow. Okay. Do we know
3: what she was treated for or what she um, was not diagnosed this time, with? I reached out to them um, and they said, you know, HIPAA laws, I,
1: which I assumed, you know, they can't share that type okay. of information. So. so now I want to discuss something that's, you know, really been put out there. It's in news reports and the sheriff has addressed it. Whether there there are... There are, of course, religious overtones to this because the couple who allegedly attacked and killed the girl said that they were doing it to save her from the devil, to save her, to get Satan out of her. And the sheriff has been very clear about this. He says, yes, the four of them, you know, the two families, they all attended the same church. And he made it very clear. The sheriff of Benton County said that these actions have nothing to do with that church and that he believes that this is an isolated incident and not at all related to a cult. And the reason that comes up is, again, because the motivation apparently was to beat the devil out of this child and this family. So, Tiffany, what can you tell us? Do you, do you know if they were all attending the same church, what church it was? Um, yes, they were. Uh, it was gospel-like church, which actually had
3: separated um, a couple years ago into two different groups. So they went with one group, and then um, it was said that they had left the church uh, between two and four years prior to this happening. However, um, we've got an inside source that say she went to the same exact church and met the couple there last year.
1: So, what kind of a church are we talking about? Is this uh, what denomination? Is this? More so, Anabaptist. Um, is that Mennonite? Or a variation of Mennonite? I
3: believe it would be more of a variation rather than just straight on Mennonite. Um, However,
1: they do more Mennonite teachings. Okay, because that happens a lot. You'll have like a church that is, Uh you know, part of another faction, may not be sanctioned. And I don't, you know, I want to try and be as clear as possible. Tiffany, I want to ask you, because this was allegedly going on for a few weeks, Do we know anything more about whether anyone had made a call for help, whether anyone had noticed that the child appeared to have been beaten, that the children looked beaten up? Do you know what I'm saying? Were were they anything Um, about that? Actually, that
3: that was actually brought up yesterday. um, And the sheriff did confirm that they did not have any type of information leading up to this up until uh, James, the father, walked in to check on Jessica after the beatings um, and being submerged into the lake he went in to check on her found her deceased and that at that point is whenever he called the police he never made any attempt to prior to doing prior to the little girl's death
1: okay so it it wasn't like anyone else could have maybe have seen them and have called police and said you know what i'm i just saw a little girl and she looks in a really bad shape and i got to call this in
3: well to me it kind of seems odd that so Ethan um is married. His wife her name is Phyllis and they live directly across the street. She was aware of an affair with Courtney and um Ethan but was told by her church you need to obey your husband. So
1: Okay, so up. help me out here because um so Courtney was then living with this other couple or it was just Courtney. So Courtney did-
3: started out in Missouri with James and Mary. Um there are two stories as to how she got with Ethan. One being that James and Courtney um, ended up becoming in a relationship voluntarily on both parties. And Mary did not like that. So she kicked Courtney out. However, there's another story that Courtney was abused by James and that's why she went um, to be with Ethan.
1: Okay. So I just, you know, before we go down this, Another rabbit hole that we may never emerge from. I just, there seems to be, you're telling me, I just want to be clear here. There seems to be that the couple who, you know, the the family, if you will, the masked family, James and Mary, right? The parents of Jessica, who was murdered, that somehow they had at some point maybe taken in this Courtney, who then later on turns around to be this abuser and... Now, accused killer of the child?
3: Yes. So she was initially sent to Missouri with James Mast for
1: spiritual guidance. Okay. So that seems to be the connection. That yes. seems to be a common theme here. Okay. It's going to be a while, I think, before the authorities can either confirm right. a lot of this information that, that will come out in court. And I don't want to speculate anymore on anything. I do want to get back to what the hell is going on in Missouri? Okay, so yeah. at least the children, the surviving children have been taken away and put in protective custody, which we s- have seen in Missouri is not always the case. So what happens now? I mean, um, what- it's
3: Actually, Actually, yesterday we were told by our local news station that the children, the two remaining boys, they are actually in the custody of grandparents now. Um, as to maternal or paternal grandparents, I do not know this at this time.
1: Okay, can you tell me because you were in the courtroom yesterday, what is the reaction to this crime, and what in the world has happened here?
3: Um, so especially in the Benton County area, um, the community there is very disgusted, distraught, and quite frankly, mad—very mad—that this has went this far.
1: Yeah, it's really an appalling case, and I think what what gets to so many of us is that the parents of jessica permitted this to happen to her and i have a feeling they're going to turn around and say that they were the victims here oh absolutely and there there is physical proof right that you know that jessica's mother was indeed beaten without question you know because the cops have confirmed that but at what point at what point you know The father was clearly capable of defending her. The father managed to call 911 at the very end. So I'm sorry, but I hold them responsible for permitting this to happen to their child.
3: Absolutely. There is multiple um, sentences in the probable cause statement that say, you know, Jessica reached out for her mother's dress. She reached for her father's Mm -hmm. hand while she was on the side of the island getting beaten with a wooden spoon and a belt. And they just stood there and did absolutely nothing whether or not they were forced to stand there and do nothing or threatened if they did do something if that was my child i don't i don't care what you do to me you're not hurting my child
1: yeah judy
3: any any closing
1: thoughts on this
2: well obviously we're still learning so much about exactly how this all went down but it sounds like this has been a very progressive set of events and what i mean by that is at first it sounds like hey we're the nice neighbors we're going to help you to get rid of the demons that are taking over your life and 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 causing harm and this concept of foot in the door really does apply to something like this where you know y- you you allow something small to happen and then the next day something bigger happens something bigger happens and it's almost like it's so gradual that it took them so long to realize wait a minute this is horrific they should have called the cops a long time ago, but I do just want to say that this is part of how people who are manipulative get in to abuse people. It doesn't go right to, we're going to kill your daughter today. It's one little step at a time. It's incremental. And I just can't wait to hear more of these details so we can really understand what went on here with this two family This is complete craziness that they were able to do this to basically every single member of the mass family with three children, essentially, except for the infant child who seemed to have escaped, hopefully, some of this abuse.
1: Wow. Well, Tiffany, I so appreciate you sharing with us what you heard and what you saw in the courtroom yesterday. I know you're going to stay on top of it. I know you're going to (laughs) fight to make sure that these parents do not get away with this. Uh, yes. And that is what you and your team on the ground in Missouri do. You fight for the rights of children. Absolutely. So I appreciate that. We on the show really appreciate that. Thank you so much for helping us. And if there are updates, will you come back and help Absolutely. us?
3: Absolutely. I would love okay. to. Okay.
1: All right. Thank you. And get back to your baby over there. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you someone. guys. Wow, Judy. I think what Tiffany shared is unbelievably more disturbing Than the original facts that we were given just because of how it appears that the Mast family ends up taking in a woman who now is charged with killing their daughter, Um, their ties to the church. Mm. Everything here is very scary. I I do want to say one thing that did happen also in court that the judge absolutely refused to let the parents out to attend Jessica's funeral. Um mm. I don't know how anybody feels about that, but if you stand by and you let your child get murdered, you do not get a special privilege to bury her. I'm sorry. That's my personal opinion.
2: Well, I think that this case is so sad and as you mentioned this web seems even deeper than we thought it was based on what Tiffany has told us and if all of that gets confirmed then this plot is so much thicker than we even thought. And To the point of this possibly being a set of delusions that were followed up upon. I mean, when somebody is mentally ill and it's untreated, religious themed delusions are actually very common, Anna. It's about a half to a third of all types of delusional issues that people may have when they're untreated. But what is peculiar about this case is that everybody bought into the delusion to some degree. At least that is what James and Mary Mass is saying is that, well, we thought that they were helping us. And that's why we allowed ourselves to be abused and our daughter to be ultimately killed. If there's any truth to that, it does point to how cults over time have hundreds of thousands sometimes of people following these same beliefs that nobody else in popular culture would believe in, but they themselves hold to it so deeply and they'll do anything to protect those beliefs. And Again, I I just don't know how far this goes, but it does make me think about the power of calls, small ones and huge ones.
1: That is very frightening. That is so frightening because at the very end of the day, no matter what else happened, a four-year-old girl was tortured to the point of being held under freezing water in a pond in the dead of winter, left to die on the side. And the two weeks before that, That little girl had a tortured and horrendous life and no child under any name of God can ever be treated that way. So absolutely not. We are going to follow this case because I have a feeling a lot more is going to come out. A lot more is going to come out. Judy, our second case is an odd one. Police in Arizona thought that they had a serial killer on their hands because 20 human limbs had been found near Prescott, Arizona, and then an additional five human heads had been found by the county line. Okay, so naturally your first thought is, what in the world is going on here? Do we have a serial killer on our hands? The other thing is that when police found these body parts, they found at both sites something that looked like medical gauze and incontinence pads, that, to me, is like the really weird stuff. I know you're probably thinking a human head is not weird. It is weird. It is weird, but in the crime business, right? It's it's mm-hmm. everything else. So it turns out that it is not a serial killer, but rather a man who used to own a cadaver business that provided research facilities with specimens, meaning when you donate your body to science,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he had the business where he collected the bodies for science, and then he would then sell them to scientific labs. Well, apparently the business went under and Mm. the owner needed to dispose of these extra bodies. Now, it's still not clear if this is the answer, but this is what police think happened. The guy needed to get rid of the bodies and this was his best plan. If his business just went under, he's probably not thinking straight and because this is not a good plan because businesses like this, Already have a plan in place to, to dispose of human remains. It's part of the business plan, right? Mm hmm. Okay, so. A Seattle man has now been arrested. Police say that he drove down to Arizona with five medical cadavers and then he hid them and and the remains all over the woods. Walter Mitchell, 59 years old, was arrested on December 29th, 2020 in Scottsdale, Arizona, and booked on 28 counts of moving human remains with the intent to conceal or abandon them, according to the sheriff. Mitchell owned a company in Seattle called Future Gen X, which managed cadavers for research, and it had recently closed. Mitchell allegedly left Seattle with the remains of five individuals, and the sheriff said, now, this is interesting, the sheriff just retired. He literally retired on January 1st, and and he says he's just glad that he was able to make an arrest in this because, as you can imagine, it was very frightening in the very beginning, mm. not knowing, not that this isn't frightening, and not that this isn't disrespectful to the people's whose remains those are to the people whose remains those are and to their families right mm-hmm. who donated their loved ones to research i you know i guess what i'm trying to figure out just from a psychological point of view i mean do you think it's possible that the guy whose business just went under I honestly thought that this was the best plan he could come up with
2: i mean like you said this disposal of human remains, or I guess in this weird case, these are the products, the inventory of his business. That should have been thought of before anything happened. But maybe he didn't have a plan. Maybe that wasn't part of his business plan. And so it sounds like the company went under and he had extra, sad to say this, but for his business, it's kind of inventory, it's product. And he decided this is the best way to get rid of it because I don't know how else to do it. But it kind of feels like maybe he could have talked to his colleagues, maybe other people who own businesses like his. What do you do when you have extra inventory? Maybe call the county, ask for any kind of advice. And he just kind of took it upon himself to just go and scatter them in different places, believing that this was a way for him to dispose properly. And that is really sad. I mean, I think the... The silver lining is we don't have a serial killer on our hands and they're running amok and we don't know where they are. But the sad thing is, as you mentioned, these wonderful people and their families who donated the deceased to science. And this is the way that their bodies are treated? Their heads and body parts are just being littered
1: all over America? No, it's not. And in fact, this is what the sheriff said. He said, quote, the situation is unimaginable and i am so sorry for the families whose loved ones were donated to research and treated in such a horrific fashion it's it it is an injustice to their memory it really is it really is and he couldn't have been thinking straight because it's just it's a stupid plan
2: well and one last thing i was thinking of is maybe he's thinking this I have to save money because obviously his business went under. I mean, he could be near bankruptcy. And so he's thinking maybe there was a proper way in his business plan and he knows what he's supposed to do, but he's thinking, well, I'm going to save some money. I don't have the money to do this properly, but it sounds like he's been cooperative. Thank goodness. He didn't resist the arrest and he pretty much copped to everything he
1: was doing. So yeah, it's a very, very strange one, a very strange one, but we really wanted to include it this one. All right. It is time for our comments section. These are the cases. Sorry for that flip of the page in front of you there. <laughs> um, these very are the excited. <laughs> I'm very excited, right? It's a new year. We're moving on, <laughs> getting off these cases, getting on to something a little bit lighter, just a tad lighter. They're still dark. They're crime cases. So these are the uh, crime stories which you all are talking about. The sentence has been reduced for a Georgia woman who broke COVID quarantine in the Cayman Islands. This made a lot of headlines, everyone. A judge in the Cayman Islands has reduced the sentence for an 18-year-old Georgia woman and her boyfriend who broke the island's COVID-19 quarantine rules. Skylar Mack will now serve two months in jail instead of four. According to an appeals court ruling, Mac was required to quarantine for 14 days after arriving in the Cayman Islands, but officials say that she, and this is interesting, in the Cayman Islands, they give you a wrist monitor. I mean, they take quarantine mm. serious, right? If only we had that here in California, I'd think our cases would be better. So she removed her wrist monitor and she left quarantine to watch her boyfriend compete in some jet ski race. Okay. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Um, I thought, well, maybe if they're surfing and it's an international competition, not that that gives her a reason to leave. I'm just saying, it's like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm not dissing jet skis, everyone. Please, no comments on this. Give me a break. Um, (laughs) they, They were initially ordered to pay a fine and serve 40 hours of community service. But the prosecutors actually appealed calling the ruling too lenient... Okay. So the prosecutors were like, no, this mm. is a health hazard. We, you can't just come here and violate our laws. So then a higher court agreed sentencing them to the four months in prison. And then of course they appealed that. All right. So ultimately this is what it's down to two months in prison. And the judge did say that their actions were quote, selfish and showed arrogance. So this is, these are the comments. Tommy L. writes, I don't feel sorry for her at all. She made a choice. Now she needs to deal with the consequences. Yes. How is it in life that we have forgotten that all our actions have consequences? Right? You make the decision. You gotta pay for it. That's it. It's
2: quite simple. Every action has a reaction. And I agree. This is complete selfishness this person doesn't seem to care that they're putting anybody else on the island in potential danger and risk of contracting COVID. And honestly, I understand the protocol being so strict on an island because again, it's kind of like an incubator. You can't really get away. And so then all of a sudden it spreads like wildfire. I mean, that's why Hawaii islands, you know, they also have much more strict rules compared to the other states of the United States. And you know, this woman is just thinking, well, I want to go watch my boyfriend compete and I'm just going to completely obey the laws and who cares? Nobody will care. And yeah, two months sounds steep, but at the same time, I think they are trying to make an example out of her. Like if any of you are thinking about doing this and coming to our island doing this, this might happen to you too.
1: Yeah. And you know what? That's a whole other jurisdiction. It is another country. Those are their laws. If you think yep. it's steep here in the United States, well, you're not You're not in the United States. It's not good to break rules and laws when you're traveling abroad, right? Because you're out by yourself on an island. So, Mm -hmm. um, Inert M writes, when you visit, (laughs) right on target here, when you visit another country, you are agreeing to follow their laws and rules. Don't like it? Don't visit. Being a tourist is not a hall pass to do whatever it is you want. Absolutely true. And then Wendy P writes, Wonder why there was a jet ski race taking place during a pandemic in the first place. Interesting question. Mm-hmm. All right. Our second case in the comments. A Mississippi woman stabs her husband multiple times for cheating on her. Apparently not in real life, though, Dr. Judy, for cheating on her during her dream. Okay. Okay. Jones County Sheriff's deputies arrested Lindsay Stevens for aggravated domestic assault. According to multiple sources, she explained to investigators that she had a dream of her husband messing around with another woman, which caused her, yes, this is what caused her to sit up and stab him seven times. Stevens' husband was reportedly hospitalized and underwent surgery, and he is expected to make a full recovery. Oh. Help me out here. Is this dream a little bit of a, perhaps, reflection of what's the anxiety going on in real life? Yeah, that's her anxiety.
2: That doesn't even have to do with him. That is so unfair that she went and stabbed him and put him in a potentially life-threatening situation for her subconscious, for the fears of her subconscious. This husband is just hanging out, doing nothing that we know of, well, and who all knows? of a sudden
1: right i'm i look it's possible i think that's a really stupid answer it's like oh he was cheating on me in my dreams not that not that it is you know okay to tell the cops well he really was cheating on me and this is why right. i did it right but at least it's a motivation which we've heard before and does happen in the world of crime spur of the moment right. heat of passion heat of dream i don't know i guess but there's no
2: Hi, I had a strong suspicion that my husband was cheating on me. I had found clues or that it was even multiple dreams. The article is saying she had a dream, one singular dream, and that caused her to just go completely haywire. My goodness.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's going to fly in court, let's face it. No, and no. Wendy T. agrees. My ex used to confess sleep talk. I <laughs> honestly, I do talk a lot of my sleep, but apparently I make no sense. <laughs> and some people would argue that's what I'm like when I'm awake. <laughs> <laughs> Donna B. writes, she's his worst nightmare. Yes. And Stephanie W. writes, this isn't funny and I shouldn't be laughing. It's just bizarre. It's just it's really bizarre. bizarre. Well, that is our program for this week. We are so excited. Thank you, Dr. Judy, for being with us. But before we go, Judy, you know, I do follow you on Instagram. Um, oh, we should tell everyone where to follow you. So then they'll understand what cool things they're going to get by following you. Where can people find you?
2: So you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Judy Ho. So that's D-R-J-U-D-Y-H-O. And I post daily with different types of wellness, productivity, motivational, and relationship improvement tips. And thank you for following me, Anna. I mean, I, I really do enjoy being able to connect with people on social media, even though 10 years ago, I would have never thought that I'd be doing this. But right now, this is a fresh new year. And it's a great time to start cultivating some of those healthier habits and really turning the page. I know everybody wants to run away from 2020 so quickly, but it's important to take stock, take inventory, what went well, even during that difficult time, and what you would like to improve on. It's a nice time to kind of have that fresh start and to start some new habits that you've been thinking
1: about. I really like that what you do is you give people some very simple, quick guidelines follow and suggestions that you can incorporate in your life and it just gives you pause and and helps you think because let's face it we're all searching for something like this is how I handle today's first podcast of the year I am wearing a brand new pair of sweatpants I clipped the tags this morning
2: (laughs) (laughs) but I am still wearing sweatpants I love it. Whatever (laughs) makes you feel good and comfortable. And I love your top, Anna. I mean, again, you know, the way that we dress though is a big part of how we feel. So if you dress comfortably, you you feel comfortable, you feel relaxed, that's great. And then if you're having a tough day, Put on something with bright colors. It's amazing what colors can do just to change your mindset. And that's a really quick and easy tip for people that, you know, when you're feeling a certain way and you want to get a little boost in your mood, reds, yellows, greens, those things are kind of excitatory. And then if you want to kind of calm down, blues, greens, pastels are really good for that. So even just the way you dress sometimes can help give you that little jump start when you need it.
1: Thank you so much, says Dr. Judy, for those of you who are listening, who's wearing a red top. (laughs) (laughs) I needed to be excited today. I was tired this morning. I was like, (sighs) Uh, well, thank you so much. You can find me on all social media sites at Anna G News. That's Anna with one N. And I love hearing from you. You know that I respond to you. And we really love hearing from you uh, on YouTube, especially because I think we're going to get a lot of comments. I want to hear your thoughts on our cases today. So, as always, you can find our content on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and on YouTube. Of course, get updates and subscribe to our newsletter at TrueCrimeDaily.com. We've got more than 4.2 million subscribers on our YouTube channel, and we are thankful to all of you for that. And until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime.